mic's on. There we go. That's my fault. I always make sure to turn my mic off for the singing, just in case. Uh, we, it's for everyone's benefit. Well, good morning, and uh, it is a joy. It's a joy to be here with you. Uh, in March, the, the Wall Street Journal conducted a poll. They surveyed 1,000 and 19 U.S. adults asking them various questions regarding their perception of the, the current state of America. The results were not great. The results were, were not great. In fact, the article that shared the survey results was titled, Rot of Nation's Core Values Quantified in Single Poll. They found that 78% of those who participated in the poll did not feel confident that the next generation their children's generation, would be better off than their own generation. In other words, the vast majority of those who participated did not have a positive outlook regarding the future of America. In fact, they compared these results to another poll taken in 1998 to see how the perspective of the average American adult had shifted in the last 25 years. They saw that those who saw Patriotism as very important dropped from 70% to 38%. Those who said religion is very important dropped from 62% to 39%. Those who said having children is very important dropped from 59% to 30%. And finally, those who said community involvement is very important dropped from 47% to 27%. This poll was not conducted by a Christian organization, and the article was not published by a Christian news outlet, and yet the title was Rot of Nation's Core Values, quantified by single poll. I find this to be interesting, but it's certainly, it's certainly not surprising if we think about it. As Christians, we know things are not the way they ought to be. Things are not the way they ought to be. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with America, but there's something wrong with all of us individually. But not only is there something wrong, it appears that things are getting worse. Uh, it's probably a phrase that you've thought yourself or, or have heard somebody else say, but it appears as though things are getting worse day by day. Whether we refer to this as the rot of our nation's core values or as a general decline in morality, the, the world around us does seem to get darker day by day. The, the presence and even widespread acceptance of sin seems to be steadily inclining. As Christians, that forces us to ask some questions, or at least it should force us to, to think about some things. For starters, what is my role? What is my role in this decaying world? Should I try to escape? Can I hide? Should I hide? Or perhaps can I watch on the sidelines? Can I merely be a spectator with what's going on in the world and, and perhaps watch from the comfort of my own home? Well, we can't escape. We can't hide. And I think we all know that merely watching from a distance is not what Christ has called us to do. Watching as a spectator and not being a part of what's going on in the world and being detached is not what the Lord has called us to do. And if you have a Bible, and I hope, I hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. And to give you a little context, now my guess is many of you are familiar with the gospel of Matthew. You're probably familiar 
even with this chapter. But if you're not, or you're, it's been a while, um, to give you some context, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And verses 13 and 16 come right after what is often referred to as the Beatitudes. It's the word, you know, blessed shows up over, you know, several times. It kind of keeps coming, and finally we get to verses 13 and 16. And so this is the longest recorded sermon of, of Jesus, and it's in this sermon that we get the Lord's Prayer, which you're probably familiar with or have heard or maybe even knew before you knew it was actually in the Bible. Uh, we get the golden rule uh, in, in, this, in this sermon. It's where we, we're told to love our enemies. Uh, it's also where we're told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so there's a lot in this sermon. And it's also in this sermon that we get the metaphors that I'm confident that many of you ha- are familiar with. The metaphors of salt and light. Specifically, it's here in Matthew 5, in verses 13 and 16, that we get Jesus' answer to the question, what is our role as Christians in this dark and decaying world? What is my role as a Christian in this dark and decaying world? Now, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, uh, and I'm going to ask that if you would, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. I'd love uh, to read this together, or if you're in a different version, just please uh, follow along. Again, this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through, through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy. It is a joy to be here this morning. It's a privilege to be able to open up your word and be able to, to teach your children, your people, Lord. And so, God, I ask uh, that your Holy Spirit uh, would fill me, Lord, would speak through me. And, God, I pray that you would get all of the glory. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified not only in this sanctuary, Lord, but all over the church right now as various Sunday school classes and life groups and in the nurseries, Lord. I pray all those who are serving and all... the thank you for it but Lord I pray that all that serving all the ministry all the teaching that's done under this roof right now would be for your glory that you would be glorified in all of it we love you Lord it's in Christ and we pray amen you may be seated in both of the metaphors of salt and light Jesus teaches about the responsibility the responsibility of Christians in the world more specifically, a non-Christian or, or post-Christian society. Jesus is teaching his disciples at least two different things here, two different aspects of, uh, that are both important. They go together, and they shouldn't be detached from each other, although sometimes we try to do that. He's teaching two different things, at least two different things in this passage. He emphasizes the difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. So first and foremost, there must be some sort of distinction. We're going to see that as we walk through this passage. There's a distinction between these two groups. The lost and the found, the light and the dark, between the church and the world. 
There's a, a distinction between the two, and the passage would indicate from the metaphors used that the distinction is to be clear. It's, it's an obvious distinction. It, it's evident. It's not subtle. You see, the world is like rotting meat, but we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the world's salt that preserves and slows down the rot. The world is like a dark night, but we are to be the world's light. This is the fundamental difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. We are distinct from the world, but not distant from the world. You see, Jesus emphasizes uh, our distinction, but also our influence, our impact, or our effectiveness. Uh, like, like salt in meat, Christians are to hinder social decay. Like light in the prevailing darkness, Christians are to illumine society and to show it a better way, the way of Jesus. It's very important that we look at both of these because we might be inclined to, to focus solely on what makes us distinctly Christian and forget to, well, as the passage says, uh, to not let our light shine, so to, to cover it. We're distinctly different, but nobody knows it. Nobody can see us. The other temptation might be to, to be in the world, to be out in front of people, but not be distinctly different, and so therefore we blend in. And so both aspects are taught in this passage that there is a distinction between the lost and the found, the light and the dark, the Christian and the non-Christian. But it's also a matter of influence. To be different but not to be in the world and not to affect the world or impact the world is to only get half of the, what Jesus is, is sharing here. And so I want to start again in verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now I'm going to take a guess here, and I think it's a pretty safe guess, that the vast majority, perhaps even all of you in this room, have a refrigerator. Uh, it's, it's, it's fair, it's possible that maybe you're, like, I caught you at a time, you're between one, and I'm, it's a sore spot for you right now. Your refrigerator died last night. I'm sorry if that's you, but you probably have a refrigerator or access to a refrigerator. In fact, the, here's a question, and, and there's no shame here. I'm, this is, uh, this is, don't, I'm, I, I'm curious, and, and I, the, the turnout was pretty good in the last service, if, if that makes you feel better, but how many of you have two refrigerators or a refrigerator and a, like a chest freezer? You have two at home. By show of hands, again, no judgment. That just means you like food. Uh, it's okay. There's, yeah, mo a lot of us, I think there are even the majority have two at home. Again, I don't say that. To, there's no conviction there. I, I think that you, we like food, right? Food's good. Um, but as you know, these are modern day luxuries. Uh, a refrigerator or a chest freezer is, is a, or multiple of them. That's, that's a modern day luxury that they did not have in Jesus's day. Without electricity or modern refrigeration, salt was primarily used as a preservative. Now today, if you have salt in your home, and I would guess that most, if not all of us, do, it's probably utilized to add flavor to something. It's probably used to season your food rather than to preserve it. Um, we have refrigerators, and in some cases, multiple refrigerators to preserve our food. So salt is, is used, in, for the most part, in a different capacity, I would guess, for the majority of the people here. In the first century, though, they used salt to delay the rot of their meat. They'd put salt into that which was, would ordinarily decay, that which would pro progressively decay. They'd put salt into it, work it into the meat, and the presence of the salt would delay the decay. So to say that we are the salt of the earth is to say that we are, as Christians, are salt for the earth. We are salt for the earth. You see, for salt to be worthwhile, it must be used. 
For it to preserve meat, it must be fundamentally different from the meat. You don't mix meat with meat to preserve the meat. That would do no good. You just have more rotten meat. So salt has to be fundamentally different than the meat for it to to do what it does. And for those of you that are in the biology or science or whatever field that would know the compounds of salt and things like that, you know why salt does what it does, but it's because it's fundamentally different. It's, I mean, in part, it's, it's fundamentally different than the meat. And so we are not just salt located on the earth. We are salt for the earth. We have a purpose in our location here. We have a function as Christians living in the world, and that function is part, in part, is to delay the decay that we see going on around us. We are to slow down the rot of our society. We can't escape this world. We, we certainly should not try and hide from the world as salt to be worthwhile, to be effective, we must be utilized, we must be used. But that raises the question still of what is salt? What does it mean that we're salt? Or what, it, what marks us as salt in this society? Well, you might say it's a seriousness about holiness that marks every aspect of our lives. A seriousness about godliness, about Christ-likeness that is uh, pervasive throughout our life and in every aspect of our life. But what also marks us as salt is our continual, habitual, and regular confession and repentance. You see, what marks us as followers of Christ is not just our our morality, not just our uh, living upright moral lives, and we should, but we will fail, and we do. Some of you experienced that on the way to church this morning. The kids didn't get around as fast as as you wanted, and and your fallenness became apparent. uh, some, you know, some, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're just whatever, even this far into the day, are probably already reminded in some way or form of our lack of perfection. And so we are distinct not only in our morality, but also in our confession and repentance when we fail to live morally upright lives. The world does not confess sin. They don't acknowledge it as sin. They don't repent from their sin. And so we're different not only in our goodness, but in the confession and repentance when we fail to live the life we ought to. So we are not only distinct from the world when we live morally upright lives, we're distinctly different when we confess and repent of our failures, when we fail to live morally upright lives. Others have said this more succinctly and perhaps more clearly than I have, saying that being salt and light is as challenging and simple as being the kind of person who practices the Beatitudes. Again, those are the, the verses that come right before verse 13, right, right before our section, the, the Beatitudes. You're probably familiar with them. If not, I encourage you to go back and, and read through them. So this is not just about living distinctly different lives, but it's also about influence. There's an impact that we are to have as salt, that if we are distinctly different in the world, it will make a difference. It will have some sort of effect in the way salt being distinctly different than meat has an effect when it goes into the meat. Another pastor said it, uh, and I like the way he said it. He said, Jesus did not say that we are the salt of the shaker. We are the salt of the earth. We're to go into the earth in the same way that salt would go into meat. For, For salt to be worthwhile, it must be used. And so we need to have a faithful Christian presence in the world. A faithful Christian presence in the world. In other words, the distinction from the world needs to be seen and heard if we're to have the impact that we ought to have. If we seek to live distinctly different lives but we remain distant from the world, we'll be as ineffective as salt that never leaves the shaker. So that looks different for everyone, but at the minimum, I believe there should be some aspect of our lives that is lived out in the presence of those who do not know Jesus. 
There need to be some aspect of our lives that is lived out in the presence of those who do not know Jesus. It is great to fellowship with believers. It's good to be here with you this morning. Amen? Amen. See, the first service didn't say amen right away. Uh, you can take that for however you want to. But, uh, but you, you responded well there. Yeah, it is good to be together. It is good to be at church. Church is good. It's, it's biblical. Uh, it's not just a good idea. It's biblical. And yet, this can't be it. Gathering with other Christ followers can't be all that we do. It's special. It's good. I enjoy it. But it can't be all we do. In fact, our vision and our mission here at Calvary, we have uh, go, gather, grow. And I always say it in the wrong order, but the, it's, it's important. All three, it's not, a, it's not a pick one or two. All three, if you're ambitious. Uh, gathering is essential. Gathering is so important. Going is also essential. There is an aspect to our mission as a, cho- a church, a local body, to not only get together, but to go out. And whether it's at our kids' soccer game, a shopping at Meijer, or, or, at, or maybe it's at your office, or maybe it's the classroom, depending on where the Lord has you at this season of life. But we should have an impact on the watching world. So that raises questions, and, and, and that I hope that you're thinking. How, how might being a faithful Christian presence in your neighborhood influence your neighbors? How might living out your faith, living a distinctly Christian life, impact your coworkers? What would that look like? How might they respond? How might your day-to-day be different? How might being involved in your community or even in local government delay the, the decay of our society? How might your presence in the world have a preservative nature? Are you a faithful Christian presence when, where the Lord has placed you? If we live distinctly Christian lives among the lost, we will have some sort of an influence. It's, it's going to happen, whether we are trying to or not. If you live, if you follow Jesus, and you live out your faith in the world, people will notice. If you live your life distinctly different, it, it, if it's marked by godliness and Christ-likeness, holiness, instead of worldliness, it will have an impact on those around you. I, I, I think you, many of you know that firsthand. You've seen it. You've experienced it. However, Jesus goes on to say, he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here the th- here's the thing, though. Salt, salt can't lose its saltiness, or it isn't salt. Um, salt is salt. It cannot be not salt because it's Salt. All right. I was told by someone after the first service that is technically grammatically correct. It's just a bad sentence. Uh, I actually thought it was grammatically incorrect, so I, I think that's a win. But I'm going to repeat it again. I'm going to repeat it again. Salt is salt. It cannot be not salt because it's salt. Salt ultimately does what it does because it is what it is. That means the phrase, if salt loses its saltiness, is an odd statement. It's an odd statement. Salt cannot technically stop being salt. However, it can be diluted. Salt can be diluted, and in Jesus' day, it often was diluted. Uh, in particular, at this particular, particular place and time, the primary source of salt was the Dead Sea. The salt from the Dead Sea was, would be mixed sometimes with other minerals, and in doing so, and when that happened, it would contaminate the purity of the salt. And as a result, it would reduce the the saltiness of the salt, the effectiveness of the salt. 
So when Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, he is likely telling his listeners that they must not allow themselves to be contaminated and then lose their effectiveness as Christians. They must not lose what makes them distinct, their Christ-likeness, their godliness. In other words, if, if as Christians we are not the salt of the earth, it is probably because we have allowed the world to contaminate us. When we lose our distinction, when we, we live worldly lives, we lose our effectiveness or our influence on the world. This concept, though, isn't unique to Matthew chapter 5. It's not just here in the Sermon on the Mount in verses 13 and 16 of Matthew 5. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, it's a familiar verse for many. It's, it's an often memorized uh, verse. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And we sometimes forget that what comes after a comma there. It says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says, do these good things in the world. Do, do these things, but do not detach it from your character, from your distinction. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't be contaminated by the world or you will be ineffective. There's no good to, to do these good things if we allow ourselves to become worldly in the process. So similarly, in, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the Apostle Paul gives a, a different picture. It's a different, uh, a different illustration here. He's talking about a great house. And he talks about in a great house, there are different types of vessels. And he, and he finishes with this statement that, that clean vessels are useful to the master of the house. That to be useful as a vessel is directly related to one's cleanliness, the, the cleanness of the vessel. There's a connection there. And so whether you prefer the, the, the picture of James 1, of the unstained by the world as we help orphans and widows, or, or that we're cleaned vessels, useful for, for God, useful for the Father, useful for the master of the house, or whether we think of ourselves as uncontaminated salt, pure salt that, that goes into meat to delay the decay, whatever the, the picture is, the idea is the same. If the world stains us, we cannot influence it. If the world, if we become worldly, we lose our impact on the world. If we're not clean vessels, we are not as useful to the master of the house. If we are contaminated, we lose our effectiveness, we lose our saltiness, we lose what makes us distinct, and as a result, we're ineffective disciple makers. We're ineffective as ambassadors of the king. We're ineffective as witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember that what marks us as salt, though, is not just living morally upright lives. It's not just our holiness, our godliness, our Christ-likeness. It's, it's our commitment to confess the sin, confess when we fail to live morally upright lives, and we do often, over and over again. It's, it's repentance. When we want, we want to change, when we realize we're not going the right direction, what marks us, then, is not just our holiness, but our commitment to confess and repent when we live... Uh, when we fail to live morally upright lives. But the passage continues, and Jesus shifts to different metaphor, which I find encouraging, because when I'm talking and teaching, I often jump around in my thoughts, and uh, he goes from salt to light, and actually there's two different light illustrations here. Uh, there's, there's the lamp, but there's also the city on the hill, but they both capture this idea of light. He goes on in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. You are the light of the world. Calvary, you are the light of the world. And honestly, though, that seems kind of like a strange statement. If 
uh, you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus calls himself the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and, and verse 21, jo- Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he's the one that came into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome him. And yet here Jesus takes the title light of the world and he transfers it to his disciples. He, he passes on a title that he gives to himself and he passes it on to his disciples and that is, that's not an insignificant thing. That's, that's something we should uh, consider deeply, that, th- that we are now the light of the world, that Jesus was the light first. Our, our light is, is a borrowed light. Our light is a reflection of his light. He is the, the source of our light. But if we have Christ's light in us, we cannot or should not hide it. It cannot or should not be hidden. And that raises questions, kind of like with salt. How, well, how do we live then as a city on a hill? What does it mean? What does it look like to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden? How do we let our light shine before others? Well, as Christians, we reflect the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ by living in, in such a way, living in such a way among the lost that, there's, that they, can, they, they find themselves saying, well, there's, this person's living for something beyond this world. When we live for Christ, when, we, when we're a light in, in this world, we're telling the world that there's something better than this world. There's something beyond this world. As salt, we try and delay the decay on the earth. We're trying to, to push back the, the rot that we see and that we know is, is in all around us. But as light, we're reflecting something beyond this earth. That this, this earth isn't it. That even, even we're, we're, we might delay the decay, but this isn't it. There's something more. Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What the Bible says is that when the world sees these good works coming from the church, coming from Christians living distinctly Christian lives, then the watching world, the world that sees us living out our faith, sees these good works, will give glory to our Father in heaven. And that is amazing. That's incredible. Think about that. It's, it's not, we're not just living for God's glory. We're not just doing these things so that we might bring glory to God, but there's, there's something in this that the watching world will in some way bring glory to the Father. What does this look like, though? Well, when the economy is what it is, right, and our 401ks and our retirements are, are plummeting, and... Uh, material assets are declining? What do your coworkers see during that time? Do they see you grieving about your depleted retirement fund or or do they see someone who's responding with a trust in the Lord who the trust is not in material things, the trust is not, their future is not just their retirement, it is their hope of heaven. Do they see something different? And so I think when we are lights, it's how we respond to the material world, it's also how we respond to tragedy. When, when unthinkable things happen and when tragedy strikes and the world looks at you and expects to see hopelessness, despair, and you're rejoicing in your suffering, perhaps even through tears. You're rejoicing in your suffering because you know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces hope. And as Paul says in Romans 5, hope does not put us to shame. He goes on to say because it's because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so when tragedy strikes, what does it look like to be a light in the world? When tragedy strikes and people see hope in our lives, a hope that they don't have because tragedy strikes everybody, when we respond differently, it's 
It's one way we can be a light in this dark world, pointing to something beyond this world. Our hope is not in this world. We live in a culture where anxiety and stress have become so prevalent. And we almost expect everyone to be stressed out to some degree. And some even wear it as a badge of honor. Stress for many is a sign that you are active, you are busy, you're doing something. It's probably important, we don't know, but you're stressed. So that, that, that it communicates something. To be not stressed almost communicates that maybe you're not trying hard enough. You're not busy enough. And so we, we actually, we, we pride ourselves in our stress. Anxiety is, is normalized. We just, we are an anxious and stressed out world. Those words come up for sure on a weekly basis. I'm confident in, in most of our lives in some way or form. But can you imagine, can you imagine if the church was filled with believers who were marked by supernatural peace? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if we held on to Paul's words in Philippians 4 and we prayed and brought our request to God and allowed the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, to guard our hearts and minds? Can you imagine how countercultural that would be if, as a church, we were predominantly a people known for being at peace? Not stressed out and not overly anxious, worrying about what everything and anything, that we would be a people with a settled sense of peace in our lives. I think people would notice. I think the more stressed out and the more anxious the world gets, the more the world depends on the material things, the more we live, simply follow Jesus, the more it will stand out. In a culture where these things are so prevalent, following Jesus will be evident. It will be obvious. In fact, people might actually look at you and see this difference and they might ask about the hope that is within you. Maybe you're familiar with that passage in 1 Peter, uh, in 3.15, Peter talks about this. He says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It's implied that there are people who see you and the way you live and that there's a response. And that response is they want to know what's different, what's going on. Why are you the way that you are? What a shame it would be if we went our whole lives and nobody asked us about the hope that is within us. It's certainly possible that the watching world can notice a difference in our lives as, as Christians and not care or never take a step to ask us about that difference. But, but what a shame it would be if, if, if our unbelieving friends, family, coworkers, the people we, we go through life with never saw anything distinctly different about us. What a shame that would be. It's possible that intentionally or unintentionally, our actions, our speech, our very lives have begun to blend into the world around us. It's possible that happens sometimes without us even realizing it until we stop and reflect on our life. It's possible that uh, we've maybe coasted into a sense where we just blend in. But as Christians, we're not called to blend in. Light does not blend into darkness. It doesn't work that way. The two are opposed. Light shines in the darkness. Verse 15 says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to you all in the house. And so, with the salt metaphor, Jesus says, Be careful of contamination. Be careful of contamination. If we lose our saltiness, it cannot be restored. So, if we lose what makes us distinct, we lose our effectiveness as Christians, as disciple makers, as ambassadors of the King. But with the light metaphor, Jesus says, Be careful of isolation. With the salt metaphor, we're cautioned not to become like the world. With the light metaphor, we're cautioned not to hide from the world. We can't hide in our homes or hide in our churches. And so when I say isolation, 
I'm not talking about individual isolation, but I'm talking about isolation with other believers. We can't hide with other believers from the world. With the salt metaphor, we are cautioned not to be deluded by the world's influence. With the light metaphor, we're cautioned not to be distant from the world. Remember I said we are not just salt of the earth, we are salt for the earth. In the same way, we are not just the light of the world, we are light for the world. In the world and for the world. Friends, when we live our lives led by the Holy Spirit, and that is, that is the goal, that is, that is what we're aiming for as Christians, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, and as we pursue holiness, people are going to notice. People are, should notice, they should see something different, we should stand out. When we let our light shine, people will see it. And when we serve in our community, when we help those in need, the world will notice. When we experience tragedy and we have hope, people will notice. When life is crazy, when we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, people are noticing. They're, they're probably going to ask questions too. They're probably going to want to know about that hope that's within you. The end of verse 16 is the goal. The goal is that God would be glorified. What precedes that, though, is that the world sees our good works, but the only way they will see our good works is if we avoid isolation. We must get beyond the walls of our homes, the walls of Calvary Bible Church, so that our Christian lives might be witnessed by a watching world. And the only way for our good works to be truly good is if we avoid contamination, avoid being diluted. And so may each of us live holy, distinctly Christian lives among the lost to impact the lost, to reach the lost for the glory of God, for the glory of our Father in heaven. May we pursue Jesus fervently with, with everything we have and all aspects of our lives, our, our holiness is, is pursued. May we avoid any type of contamination that would minimize our effectiveness as salt. As Christians and as, as disciple makers, may we pursue Jesus with everything we have. May we avoid the temptation to hide, though. Because again, remember I said, to be distinct, distinctly different, but to be isolated doesn't really, it's like salt in the shaker. It doesn't really have much of an impact. But to be in the world, to be out and, and with them and not isolated, but to not be distinct, to blend in, that, that also doesn't work either. Both aspects of this need to be true. We need to pursue that distinction so that we might have that influence. And so Calvary, my prayer for you is that you will continue to be salt for, for Kalamazoo and for all the surrounding areas. My prayer for you is that you will continue to be salt and it has been a joy to be a part of Calvary for these last 12 years. I say continue because I've seen it. I know most of you I've seen as a church the influence and impact you've had on the, on the community and around the world. And so my prayer is that you would continue. Continue to be the salt of the earth. And as you go and wherever you go, may the lost in Kalamazoo see your good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. May that continue. And as the children's song goes, and, and now it's going to be in your head, uh, may you continue to let your light shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now I'd ask that you would pray this for us as we transition to Nashville, Tennessee. Pray that, that as salt, we would pursue holiness, that we would, in the busyness of ministry and in their eagerness to serve and continue to, to make disciples in a new location, that we would not neglect the pursuit of holiness in our own lives, that we would be pursuing holiness so that we would not be contaminated, that we would be effective, that we would not lose our saltiness in this 
this new ministry, this new area. Pray that we would be salt on the campus of Vanderbilt University and in the greater Nashville area. Pray that our light would shine forth. As much as as we will crave Christian fellowship and value the fellowship of the saints that we've experienced here and we we love and, and, and so greatly appreciate, as much as we're gonna be looking for that and continue to pursue that in Nashville, but pray that we would live our lives among the lost, that we would live our lives as light in a very dark campus, in a very dark area. 50 of the largest on-reach people groups live in 21 countries. On-reach people groups are groups that uh, there's not enough, uh, less than 2% Christian, I think is what they say. It might be even lower than that. 50 of the largest on-reach people groups live in 21 countries. 11 of those countries sent students to Vanderbilt University last year. An additional 30 countries beyond that sent students as well. There's students from 41 different countries on campus. We're excited for the opportunity to be salt of the earth in a place where people are coming from all over the earth. We are excited to be the light of the world to people from all over the world. It's a, it's, it, we're thrilled. But pray, pray more specifically that we'd be salt and light, but more beyond that, pray that we would be able to equip college students and young adults to make disciples. See, we, we want to disciple, but we want to make disciple makers. We want to make and create and, and equip young adults to be making disciples themselves. That's our goal as we send out our, our, our graduates too, that not, they've in many cases been discipled, been invested in, and now we, our prayer is that they would continue to be invested in, but they would, they would invest in others. And so pray, pray for us. Pray that we make disciple makers who go back to their home country, back to their home state, or wherever the Lord would lead them, and that they would make disciples wherever the Lord would take them. We're currently uh, 78, I think, percent or so. I'm not really great with math, but we're close. Uh, our goal was to be at 85 by the end of May and the Lord is just continually just blowing our mind with, with his provision God has steadily increased uh, our, our support and we want to thank you for that if many of you have been as Calvary as a church supports us many of you individually and I'd ask that you continue to pray for us that we would we would, we would uh, continue to get the support we need to not only get there but to stay there also because everyone loves email right we all love more email in our email our inbox if you would like to receive our updates, that's a QR code for those of you that are unfamiliar. Uh, that is, uh, you can, um, if you want to be on our distribution list and get our emails, or monthly. That's one way to do that. If you're like, I have no idea how to, what to do with that. Uh, you can come see me, or you can email me, contact me, whatever way. We'd love for you to stay in touch if you want to stay in touch. Also, I put my, our email up there partly, uh, so, because my, many of you, have last several, 12 years, we've been using the same email here at Calvary, and many of you utilize that and our emails are context changing um, and so there you go there you, if you want to email me for any reason at all by all means go for it uh, we'd love to hear from you so we'd love for, to stay connected to you and we want to make sure you have opportunity to stay connected to us if you'd like but before I close in prayer um, I want to express my my love and appreciation uh, for each of you uh, it has been a joy it has been a privilege and honor to serve among you, to shepherd among you, uh, and we will never, uh, never be able to forget, wouldn't want to forget our time with you. And so thank you for the joy it's been to serve uh, here these last 12 years. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your for your word. I thank you for the teachings of Jesus, Lord, here in the Sermon on the Mount. But more than that, Lord, I want to thank you for Jesus. Uh, Thank you that he lived the morally upright life that we can't live. He lived the perfect life. 
And yet he died the death we deserve. He died on the cross for our sins, Lord. And then he rose again three days later. We thank you for the gospel, Lord, that if we put our trust in him as our savior, that we can have eternal life. That changes us, not just our eternity, but our changes our, 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 our today. It changes us who we are now. We become children of you when we put our faith in Christ. I thank you for that salvation, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, and I'm talking this morning to Christians as salt and light, but that doesn't apply to those in here that do not have a relationship with Jesus, Lord. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would put their trust in him. Not because I recommend it, but because it's true. <laughs> it's good, and it will give them that peace and joy and hope that we want to shine from our lives. We want to, to be evident to the watching world. That's possible with a relationship with you. And for those of us that have that relationship, Lord, that are salt and light, that are our Christians, Lord, I pray that we would, we would live distinctly different lives in, in, in ways that we're not living like you. We're not following your son, God. I pray that we would confess it as sin. I pray that we would repent. I pray our distinction would be evident, not just to fellow believers, but to the world, because we have chosen not to isolate ourselves, Lord. We've chosen to live our lives in the world, to impact the world. God, I pray that you'd use us I pray, God, that through our lives, through the gospel message going forth, through our mouths, through our actions, Lord, that you would get much glory not only in our lives, but through those who, who are watching. God, I pray that this would be true, this passage would be true of Calvary Bible Church, that people would see our lives and give glory to you in heaven. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.